Hello, and welcome to a very, very messy episode of Future Chat. We're trying something a little different this week, and apparently the universe has decided to grace us with all kinds of technical problems. We're, uh, we're going to attempt to give you a show here, as usual, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh, joining me today is my cousin, Mike Cottrell, and joining us in spirit is senior contributor Nick Maddox, whose internet dropped out about 20 minutes ago. Let's get to the show. <laughs> Alright. Uh, this week is going to be different for a number of reasons. Uh, Mike is here with me today, as usual. Mike, how are you doing? All things considered, not too shabby. Yeah, I would say you are the one that is having... Or the only one that hasn't had technical problems so far. Though, to be fair, I'm not in my normal environment. True. So maybe your house is, or yeah, your house is burning down right now, and you just don't know about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we got snowed in last night, so yeah. I guess you you had the first temporary. problem. Yeah. Uh, Non-technical. Yeah, yeah. Still. Exactly. Yeah. So, if this is the first time you're listening to Future Chat, welcome. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently in this episode than we have the last 39 episodes. This is episode 40, and I figured, coincidentally, this is a round number, round-ish, and so let's try something a little different. And as I mentioned, the universe had decided to not let Nick into this conversation. Uh, what Nick wanted to, to send a message uh, from the beyond, uh, <laughs> promoting Tech Savvy, this is his last week with tech without tech savvy i think he's on telus right now uh maybe nick can confirm if he's if he's able to watch uh but uh yeah so thanks tech savvy for being great and hopefully next week nick will be able to avoid all the problems he's had this week yeah so what's the format of this episode going to be do you uh do you want to explain from your perspective mike how you think this is going to (laughs) go i don't know i think you know just generally we we tend to chat about just random you know, science and tech news as we go throughout the week and come up with something to talk about on on the Saturday. But I think this time we're going to kind of take that discussion to the Saturday as opposed to doing it all prior to. And because uh, I don't know, like the stuff that we come across is usually pretty interesting and worth talking about. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can cover some some good and interesting and more uh, variety of stuff versus one single topic per se uh for me personally at least it comes down to i mean first of all this is going to take a bit less planning in advance and we all have pretty busy lives and it's it's hard to if there's a topic you're less familiar on it's hard to go and spend a couple of hours every week or a few hours every week doing research to make sure that you're prepared and as well it's hard to talk as even a, a pretend expert on topics if you don't know them. And so I found myself, particularly in the last few weeks, umming my way through explanations because I wanted to try to be precise because science tends to be that way. It tends to require precision of language and and of terminology. And I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable going into depth. Like I love talking about light and there were a lot of interesting stories that we got out of that episode. But going into a, deep physical explanation of light is difficult to do unless you're working in it every day. And I don't, I don't know if you experience the same thing, but I, th- I think a big thing is, especially when it comes to stuff like light, where 
you can go so deep into different layers of theory and how it works. Like, I don't think we even really touched on the quantum aspect. No, not really. We kind of stayed more macro, as macro as you can get with light. But there's that whole extra level that we didn't even address that probably semi-contradicted kind of what we were saying. Like, even when we started talking about um, thermal conduction, thermal convection versus uh, infrared radiation and trying to figure out the interaction of the particles and how they transfer heat and all that kind of stuff, that's getting into a whole new theory on its own. And I think we tend to, like, yeah, like you said, the discussion is interesting, but I think it's hard to carry the level of familiarity as you get deeper into things. Yeah, it also just got to be a lot. We were trying to cover a topic like light in an hour and a half, and that's I mean, you can't do it justice. <laughs> so we tried the be- we did the best we could in an hour and a bit. But uh, I hope this will at least give- let us go into a few different topics and hopefully cover them in more knowledgeable and interesting ways. So we'll we'll try this out as an experiment this week. We'll see how it goes, uh, and then we're probably going to have to try it out as an experiment part two next week when Nick is actually able to get connected to the internet. Uh, again, thank you, Tech Savvy. In- <laughs> preemptively thank you so before we get too far into the show we actually also have some follow-up from previous episodes that's another aspect of the show that might be able to change a little bit and provide some continuity but from episode to episode uh, a few things have happened in reference to past episodes that i that we should just talk about briefly the first one i want to talk about is uh, we talked in, I don't know if we've talked, I know we've talked in previous weeks, but I think we talked last week most recently about the NOR facility in Ottawa that was being shut down due to lack of funding. And I got wind this morning that through a number of letter writing campaigns and promotion and, and discussion uh, at the university level and at the government level, uh, there might have been, there's some, there's some hope now. And so uh, they're basically saying, let these channels, there's some positive progress in certain channels that it needs to happen in and so uh i'm really hoping that they're able to to save this i think the cynical part of me says that it's a uh election tactic but we'll uh we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that is actually a good intention yeah but i mean either way government tax either way is a benefit for sure like it's kind of like the thing with like tax breaks right like I'm not going to complain about getting tax breaks, but it's also, yeah, they're trying to get votes. So yeah, I think the biggest, you know, they've been in the spotlight for science funding and science policy, and this is kind of a step in the right direction. So hopefully it's a natural commitment to changing that. Yeah, hopefully it's a change of direction and going back towards pure science. I like to think that our episode on government funding of science was really the catalyst for this discussion, uh, knowing that that's fully, full well not the case, but I can dream. <laughs> We did uh, our part, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It definitely played some small role. Yeah. yeah. So on to the first of the things that we want to talk about. And I think this is probably your biggest news of the week, and that's Lollipop. So yes. uh, what happened to you with Lollipop this week? Well, to clarify, it's it's old news in the sense of, A, everyone expected it to come. And a lot of devices have had it for at least a couple of weeks, if not months, since the Nexus 9 and 6 were released. Um, 
now it just started rolling out to the devices that didn't have it pre-installed on delivery. Um, so yeah, so I have the Nexus 4. Um, they got rolled out to the 7, the 4, and the 10 uh, the past week or two. Um, and so yeah, I, you know, I was able to download it and update it. And it's been it's been a night, really nice change from, from KitKat for sure. Uh, it was similar to the change that iOS 7 brought to the iPhone um, as far as user interface and just fluidity and design and that kind of thing. So it's nice to see, I think, just change. Whether it's better or worse is kind of fairly subjective, but I think just it's always nice to have something new and different to play around with. And I'm sure in a couple of years people want to have something else. So, but I'll definitely enjoy it while I have it for sure. Yeah. You, uh, you've been mentioning over the course of the week, several shortcomings or, or little things that you wish were slightly different. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how those updates, how little small changes like that pan out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's not big things and I'm, I'm already getting used to a lot of this stuff, but I guess for me, I, I had a lot of high hopes and high expectations for uh, Lollipop and really any operating system was like you expect it to be polished and all the kinks worked out, at least like the obvious ones. Like obviously it's going to be like the, the minor bugs, but you know, just, and it's probably mainly just me or a small fraction of the Android user uh, demographic, but you know, there's, there's just little things that are like, oh, I mean, it was, it's perfect except for like these three or four things. But yeah, we'll see in future updates based on feedback and, and that kind of thing, how they change the, the interface and usability of it for sure. Uh, was there anything else, anything you wanted to comment on specifically as a, as like your favorite thing about the upgrade? Uh, I like the animations that, like the transitions between windows and just, kind of as you swipe through things, there's little, like, it, it feels like you're touching, like interacting directly with the interface. Like it's not just you touch and something happens. It's like you're actually causing it to happen kind of like, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Like, but like you had it yeah. on the five. I did. In a yeah. developer version, was it? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, so you're, you kind of have an idea of kind of what I'm talking about. Um, I guess you didn't have a whole lot of experience with KitKat to compare to. I used it for a bit. The first time I bought the Nexus 5, I, it was just KitKat. Yeah. So did, did you notice a distinct difference between the two? Uh, I noticed it. I, I, like, I definitely did, and I know what you're talking about. There's a lot of... The, the operating system tends to respond with some kind of visual with every touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, even if it, it, it sort of looks like the you're... Uh, finger press is causing yeah. some indentation or almost like a ripple. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been going on for a while. It's been a slow transition from KitKat apps or Google Play apps getting or getting material design. And so I feel like they kind of eased in the transition uh, where things like the Play Store and Hangouts and uh, Google Plus app, they all got material design before the actual launch of Lollipop just to sort of ease the transition between the two. Yeah. And when you say that they got material design, that's more just the color scheme and font and that kind of thing. No, but the interaction with material as, design as well. Not not with the window switching and all that kind of stuff, because now 
when you when you open up an app, it kind of like slides up from the bottom and slides down when you exit it. Yeah, that's material Instead design. Just, just, no, I know, but in KitKat, when you get a material design app, the apps oh yeah that way. no that's right. what I mean okay yeah so it it had it had the muted colors and the flat design and and all that kind of stuff as much as it could without having the actual interaction that material design brings right do you feel like that's an improvement it's a nice change okay I think it, it I think it adds a lot of I think it adds a lot to it but I think it's it's it feels better because it's different okay so it's not necessarily uh, I think they, time will tell if it's actually better. Yeah, and and I think the notification system is a lot better. Um, I I like how you'll get a text and then it kind of slides down from the bottom, hangs out there for a bit, so that you can see what it is and who it's from, without having to pull down the notification menu to see who it is and kind of read who it's from or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see being able to have like a toaster notification to reply directly to a text without having to open the app up the way that iOS does. But again, those kinds of things may be added in future yeah. cases and that kind of thing. But One of the things that I think, and I don't know this, but I feel like Android is taking small steps towards becoming more like iOS in that they will put out a feature and it'll be very minimal, but then they'll slowly build as they to make sure they get it right. One of the things that Android was criticized for at the beginning is that they would put all these things in, but they were half-baked and didn't work that well. Whereas when iOS would have an update, they would take a lot of steps to make sure it worked perfectly and that they thought about every aspect of it. And so seeing those notifications, seeing that there's only minor stuff you can do with it, I think that's actually positive because it gives them the chance to really think it through and get it right. Yeah. And, you know, I guess when you bring it up, as far as things that you can do properly the first time, you know, they have the lock screen notifications that come up and that's one of the new things um, where they display notifications right on your lock screen. So you don't have to go into the, to the main interface, but the way they've set it up is, is basically a mirror of your notification menu displayed on your lock screen. So any sort of like lock screen widget or toggle that you have on there, um, is going to show up on your lock screen. So whether it's weather, uh, auto rotate, or lights on, lights off, or uh, timeout screen or whatever, you're going to have that show up on your lock screen and just hang out there. So it's like, again, I've, I've gotten used to just having weather and my auto rotate show up on my lock screen, even though I'm not yeah. having use for them there. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how they, they go forward in the future if you can make exceptions for specific apps that show up on your lock screen and that kind of thing. Right. I think, yeah, I think it'll it'll take some getting used to, it'll take some refining, but in the end, it'll be positive. And, and I felt with iOS 8, um, with the improvements they made there, they, uh, that they brought a lot of this stuff, like when they were talking about the iPhone 6, pretty much everything that was on my wish list for iOS that Android had, they added to iOS. And so for me it's almost at the point where there isn't a reason for me to stick with one over the other at, other than just I've been with Android for so long now that I may just end up sticking with them. But as far as features, they're fairly even now. And I feel the same way about iOS. I've just been with it for so long and I'm, and they talk about pro, uh, lock-in. I don't know that I'm necessarily that locked in. There's just a lot of perks 
for me personally to iOS because I've been with them for so long. I like I know exactly how it works. I've paid full attention, so nothing is confusing or obfuscated to me. Everything like I know all the traits of the operating system. And I also get to take full advantage of every new thing because the old the stuff that was already there I already know fully. So every time something new comes in, it's not this big leap to understand how that works as well. So let's move on a bit. Uh, I have a story from this week that I just wanted to share on air because it really kind of, how they say, got my goat or grinds my gears. I don't know why everything that bad that happens has to be in alliteration with the letter G. Uh, so I was talking to a friend of mine who is on TELUS, who was trying to, or who got a call from, from TELUS asking if they wanted to upgrade their phone and switch to one of their new plans. Uh, as we talked about actually in the inaugural episode of Future Chat, which was Future Tech Chat at the time, uh, we were talking in that episode about the Canadian or the wireless code of conduct, which was a new set of rules that the CRTC put in place to basically save consumers money and save consumers a lot of headaches dealing with carriers. And so they did things like switching from three-year maximum contracts to two-year maximums, uh, talking about how you have to, there are certain things you have to delineate in the written contract and rules that carriers have to abide by in terms of wireless contracts. And so the, the phone call that my friend got from TELUS tried to tell her, this is someone who is not necessarily as informed, nowhere near as informed as me, but basically just trying to understand what's going on. And maybe she wanted a new phone, but she didn't really understand the intricacies of the wireless carrier system, which is totally understandable. And that's the vast majority of Canadians. So they said that uh, the TELUS rep said that the government requires that every person pay at least $70 a month for their plan, which is, I mean, from the TELUS side of things is true, but it's not the government mandating that it's TELUS mandating that they're only going to give you a discount on your plan or on your phone. Sorry. They're only going to give you that subsidy if you pay at least $70 a month. And they try, they went even further to say that if your plan is less than $70, because TELUS does offer plans that are less than 70. If you want to get the subsidy on with a premium smartphone, you have to add features to make your plan at least $70. So they were trying to get her to upgrade. She has an iPhone. Now they were trying to get her to upgrade to the new iPhone and saying that you need to spend at least $70 a month in order to save. They were going to give her a promotion of a hundred dollars off whatever phone she wanted. You know, like you upgrade your plan, we'll give you $100 extra towards a new phone. But all, And all you have to do is the government has mandated you have to pay $70 a month. So we'll sign you up for a $70 a month plan. And it's like, oh, man, like I don't even I don't even know what to say because that's just a complete lie. And I told her right away, like I sent her a link to the wireless code of conduct. Just I encourage everyone to go get informed because that is a complete lie. It's just the opposite of the truth. Tell us wants you to pay $70 because they're trying to recoup losses that they have incurred in profits. It's not necessarily, it's not a loss. They're getting less profit when carriers had to switch from three-year contracts to two-year contracts. So they want you to spend more money per month to make up the money that they had before from you over three years. Now they have to do it over two years, but offering someone a hundred, like this preys on people who 
I mean, people are, tend to think in the short term a lot. And so it preys on people who think on the short term. They say, oh, wow, $100 less. And all I have to do is sign up for this plan that's $70 a month. Like over three months at best, that difference in price in the plans is going to get you. Like mathematically, it just makes no sense to take that deal. And they so they try to pass it off as the government has mandated $70 minimum per plan for a smartphone. And that's just not true at all. So anyone that is getting that call, don't don't fall for it. Yeah. And, you know, I find that when it comes to talking to uh, professionals in any industry, that a lot of the time, I don't know if it's through improper training or just misunderstanding, because for all we know, this representative may have actually thought that it was a government thing either whether she was told that it was or that that's just how she interpreted it, that now all people have to pay at least 70 bucks for a premium smartphone. Like she just may have just understood it to be that it was a government thing. But until someone goes and says, no, that's actually not true. Like they don't know any better. So I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't automatically say that it was an intentional lie to mislead and deceive. I think just when you're talking like companies have big training programs and, you know, people have different understandings of how things work and you can't rely on everyone to have a full, complete understanding of even what their own job entails necessarily when it comes to minor details, like so, whether something's government mandated or not. So I, I guess it's kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt that they weren't necessarily trying to mislead, but the person on the other end, the, re- the representative was definitely misinformed as well. Yeah. Like there was just, it was all misinformation going around. It's just ridiculous. <sighs> yeah. I, I can't, the whole week, ever since that happened, I've just been going crazy thinking about how terrible that is. And she was, she sent me a message saying like, honestly freaked out talking about how she can't afford $70 a month. She's going to school, trying to work part-time to make up for it. Like a lot of people can't afford $70 a month for a phone, but a smartphone doesn't necessarily need to be this huge expense like that. And, oh man, I just immediately, like I went on the war path. I was at work. I was like, all right, work, put aside for 10 minutes. I need to explain this to make sure that as few people as possible get scammed by that. Like they, that is a scam. There's no other way to put it. Whether or not they were aware, that's the the training that they got said, you need to say this. And that is a scam. Plain and simple. I don't think there's any other way to interpret it. <sighs> okay. I feel a little better. I've, that's out in the world now. <laughs> so uh, I want to also, there's a piece of follow-up here that, in the last episode, we spent a bit of time at the end of the episode talking about the LHC and their new discovery of two new particles, which is a thing that happened. And I said in the last episode that the standard part, the standard model was being broken by this, or it was being slightly, it had to maybe had to be slightly rewritten, uh, which does happen from time to time. But this actually isn't the case in this instance. The two particles that they discovered fit within the standard model. It's fine. So, uh, yeah, take off your (laughs) alarm hats because it's fine. Uh, I also, on that note, because, because of this follow-up, I was doing a bit more research and I discovered this 
apparently it's a new thing the LHC has put out. It's a service to help them. The sort of like I don't know if you've if you've seen Mike the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence has a program where you can use your computer's bandwidth when you're not using it towards searching for extraterrestrial life through the data that they have. Is it the bandwidth or the RAM that they use? I thought it was RAM. Uh, not sorry, not I don't mean else? yeah. I mean computer cycles. Yeah, not yeah. not bandwidth, not internet bandwidth. Uh, yeah, it's called SETI at Home is the program, which I just think is really cool. And so they've been doing this kind of thing. Several places have been doing this where they try to crowdsource the information uh, that when there's a lot of data being that needs to be processed, they get anyone to help with whatever resources they can. It's been used, I think, in the search for exoplanets as well. People crowdsourcing, looking at photos and trying to suss things out, at least in a way that they can people can note if something is going on if something's weird and then a real scientist that actually knows what's going on can verify uh, and so they did the same thing with the lhc and so if you go to the website higgshunters.org you can go and actually look at real data that the lhc is churning out from particle collisions and you can identify weird things that are happening and so with that feedback they're going to crowdsource they're going to get lots of people to look at this data and then when things jump out as weird, it'll flag it for the researchers that can go back and only look at the important ones. If something, if everyone looks at something and says, no, that's completely normal, then they'll just, they won't, they'll be able to disregard that data because it's, it's stuff we already know, which I just think, I, like, I don't know about you, but I spent, uh, I spent a bit of time uh, this week. I think it was like 20 minutes or so just looking through and trying to do a few of them. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, and you know it's almost like a uh, a very coarse first run filter because yeah. you know it's like and it's it's really the power of statistics because when you ask say ten people to look at a picture be like oh is there anything weird in here you might get fifty fifty or you know a slight majority towards one or the other but when you ask like ten thousand people then you're going to get a nice statistical distribution and you'll start seeing trends one way or the other and it's going to be like legit data and statistically significant versus like asking a couple of people you're yeah. going to it's going to be a lot more biased towards their background and their experience but if you ask enough people then you'll yeah you'll get a nice idea of kind of where to start versus starting from scratch right off the bat yeah uh, i know that reminds me of another site that they had where i think it was searching for like protein arrangements or dna Oh yeah, there was. Yeah, and and they made it a game, so you like go through the different levels, and you have to like find the different things that work because you can get a computer to just go through iteration and iteration, or you can get a person who has like actual brain power to get a run at it, and it actually worked fairly well, considering it's completely crowdsourced and people did it for free and for fun. Yeah, it, if I recall from that ex or from that crowdsource. I'm going to call it an experiment because I think it's, I think it kind of is. They're testing out something new that hadn't been really done before. Uh, they actually came up with, I forget if it was a cure or if they came up with an idea for some kind of protein that actually did what they were trying to do in one of the instances. So crowdsourcing, totally viable option for advancing scientific knowledge and understanding. Yeah. And, and they're, they're taking the same approach with a lot of math pro, uh, problems too they'll post them publicly and people just take runs at them and 
yeah, you get enough, like, you know, uh, free time mathematicians or closet mathematicians, whatever you want to call them, that take a run at it and they may come up with something that someone else hadn't thought of before. But it, and it's all just crowdsourced yeah. information. So. Actually, well, I mean, if, if you want to go into that, you can go into uh, programs like Chrome's bug bounty program, where if you discover a, a bug or some kind of exploit in Chrome, or in, there are a lot of browsers and internet programs that do this, you can get you get money for it. Like I think it's like twenty thousand or fifty thousand dollars if you get a big exploit that will it would allow someone to, for instance, remotely access your browser. And so people will spend their time, like they'll make a living, just looking for bugs in the program and send the bug into to Google. And when they verify that it actually is a bug, you get money for it. Like you get not insubstantial amounts of money. Yeah, yeah, I know. And they they'll have even like competitions, like. Hackathon yep. or type stuff. I don't know if Hackathon is the right one I'm thinking, uh, but I think that's its own thing. But that's a, that that is a different slightly. Yeah, different it's a different thing. thing but yeah. it's, it's the idea where a bunch of people come together and just try to hack whatever operating system or program, and yeah, as you as you exploit, find weaknesses, then you get rewarded for that. So yeah, there was a recent one. Oh, they do it every year, but it's called Pwn to Own, where uh, a lot of the major phones, uh, tablets, and operating systems or browsers get, they, you're given the chance to, they, like, people develop these exploits over the course of the year, and then they bring them to this, this competition, and they basically, they get recognized as being someone that was able to do this pretty technical exploit, and they, I think they get to, the joke thing is that they get to keep the device that they hacked, and they get prize money. And it, it's kind of funny because you sort of also get to see where people are really wanting to spend their time. So I think they had a Fire Phone, at, like the Amazon Fire Phone at the contest, and it was just like nobody even tried to hack it because it just wasn't... It's it not wasn't that worth it wasn't the time. Right. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't worth anybody's time to exploit it. That's funny. Even though it was fairly expensive compared to... Well, it like, was fairly expensive. Very, I don't know if you I guess it was, yeah. They, I think they dropped the price, I think, but... Yeah, I think they dropped the price to 199 off contract and it still comes with a year of Amazon Prime, so it's like it's, it costs like 20 bucks or it's, something. It's not 199. I think it, it might Maybe, be 299. Yeah, price. I think it's about 300 right now. But off, yeah, off contract now. Okay. It used to be the 650 or $700 off contract. And then it's like 99 cents on contract. <laughs> I guess talking about bugs and testing and that kind of thing. Um, Rob, you are very into beta testing and getting, you know, being on top of new apps, new programs, um, you know, the first to adapt new up and coming ways of doing things, I guess. So, you know, companies rely a lot on beta testing and getting feedback. Um, so maybe did you want to kind of go into why you enjoy beta testing and kind of minting with new apps and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I have long time been an advocate of technological advancements. That I was actually watching the Future Chat trailer this morning, and I say that I'm an advocate of, of the advancement of technology. And one of the best ways that you can do that is, I mean, obviously you can write apps or operating systems or whatever, but not having the technical knowledge to do that or the training or anything 
one of the best ways that I find to do that is to beta test. And I've written before and I've talked about many times before that I love updates. I like when technology updates itself. Like it gets better for nothing. You put no effort in and something gets better. So I'm constantly sitting there. Like I have to convince Julia to update stuff. She still hasn't updated her. She's still got a one sitting there on the settings screen on her iPhone. But uh, I'm running, for instance, I'm running the Windows 10 technical preview right now on my other hard drive. So I can dual boot between the two, and I spend time on Windows 10 every once in a while just seeing. And I, I like what they're where they're going with it. Uh, I've actually gotten used to the smart screen now, or the start screen, sorry, on Windows 8. So like I'm actually going to miss that. I might if they give you an option to put it back, I might actually do that because I I like the way it works. But to be honest, before that happened, before they used the start screen on Windows 7, my my workflow was hit the Windows key start typing my search term, like start typing whatever program I wanted to go into and hit enter. So like if I wanted to open Chrome, I'd hit the Windows key, type in CHR and hit enter and it would open Chrome, Windows 7. Windows 8, Windows 8.1, like I did the exact same thing, nothing changed. You can just still, the workflow didn't change for me. And so Windows 10, it's the same thing. You can still press Windows and then go about your day. But uh, I really like, like I'm running, yeah, I'm running a Windows beta I'm running a beta version. Actually, I might not be anymore. I'm on the beta channel for Chrome. I'm on the beta channel on for Mac updates. They used to do it where you had to download, you had to explicitly download every Mac update, but now they've sort of switched almost silently. And so now I'm on the beta track of Mac updates. Every time there's a new beta, I get it as an over-the-air download. Even though I'm not signed up as a developer, like you can just go and do it, and I'm on that channel now. Uh, I'm on a beta of iOS on my phone, I believe. Like, I, yeah, I I love, I like new things. So m- most people are afraid of change and they don't like it, but I love change. Like, I like when things are different and get better. Like, I like challenging my brain that way. I don't know. How, like, how do you feel about beta testing? Do you do a lot of it? I, well... Let's put it this way. I'm on the beta for the Facebook app. Yeah. And I'm on the beta for mobile Chrome. And I think also the beta for Chrome desktop. Um, but I guess for me, like, when, when I get a beta, when I get or just any update to an app, I'll be like, well, that's kind of cool. Like, if they change something, I'll be like, oh, that's a nice change. But... I don't. I don't generally provide that feedback, like because, like, chances are it's going to change before I even get used to the first thing, or I'll be like, oh, someone's probably already said that or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first got Lollipop, I actually I searched. I just googled the bug that I was seeing, and there was actually already a filed bug report for it with ten other people saying, yeah, I can confirm this. So. To me, that that was the extent of my kind of giving feedback was just commenting and saying, yeah, it's happening for me too. Um, and then with the Facebook app, like you get new updates through Facebook. I don't know if you're on the Facebook beta for for iOS or if they have one. No, it's not. It's app. not that easy. There there probably yeah. are beta systems, but it's not like with the Facebook on Android. One of the things I noticed when I had the Nexus Five is how easy it is. Like you join a Google group for yeah. beta, and then it just changes yeah. it. Yeah, so I'm on that, and then, so I was actually using it, and then 
I ran into a bug that whenever I tried to post a picture to a comment, it crashed, like every time, very repeatable. So I filed like feedback with them. And then I went to actually, I was like, oh, I should check to see what updates I have in my Play Store. And then there's actually already an update for Facebook. And then when I went back into it, it the thing was fixed. So not that it was my comment that did that, but someone had already obviously filed that. And I guess that kind of shows the purpose of beta because they're, they're, it allows them to give quick updates without having to run through every single bug test. They can rely on, on the people using the beta to, to file these reports. And I think, I believe, like, even if you don't file a bug report, if the app crashes, it has the ability to send feedback on why it happened on the technical side, not on the kind of subjective or oh, like this feature part, but if it crashes, then it'll say kind of what you're trying to do and, and all that kind of stuff. So that at least gives them that information if you don't be, or yeah. don't get feedback. One of the new things that they, uh, oh, so recently within the last year, Apple bought a company called TestFlight, which did beta testing of, of Apple apps on iOS. And so with that, they instituted, I'm not going to be able to find it right now. Uh, there's a, when you start up, when you first buy an iPhone, one of the screens that it leads you through is, do you want to provide feedback to developers on, on crash statistics and that kind of thing? And so, yeah, they've built it into the operating system now that every app has the ability, if, if developers want to build it in when something crashes or something goes wrong, it'll send the, that feedback about what went wrong to the developer. I just I like I'm always going to turn that on in Chrome. I turn that on. I turn that on in everything that I can. Yeah, yeah. So do I. And you know, a part of me wishes that they made feedback easier. Where, say, they make a change, then there's literally a screen that pops and say, "Hey, do you like this change or do you like this feature?" Because I for sure use that every time. Be like, "Oh yeah, that's pretty good." Oh, four stars, and then add a comment being like, "Oh yeah," or. And then, or you can give comments saying, oh, it doesn't work perfectly or whatever. And then, but at least with Android, you need to either go to the Play Store and leave a comment, but even that often doesn't get to the developer. Like, even on those app pages, it'll say, for, for feedback, please email us at whatever email, because the Play Store comments, it's not as fileable or trackable as, as an actual feedback directly to the developer. So. It, it's kind of, it's tricky because you have to put a lot of effort into providing feedback. So I wish that it's easier for everyone's benefit. Like One of the cool things about uh, the, or the, the Google Plus app, at least on iPhone, is that you can shake the device and it'll pop up with a little send feedback dialog. Oh, oh, cool. So, yeah, I, like I, I just shook my phone when I'm in the Google Plus app and it, gives me a thing with feedback and I can description and I can send system data, screenshot, Google account information. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, if, if they had that for every one, then that'd be perfect. Yeah. It's a, it's a technically a good system. The normal uh, way, the normal thing that happens when you shake your phone is that it offers to undo the typing you've just done, which is a useful thing as well, but different. But I like that, that thing like it, it, every so often you like throw your phone on the couch when the Google plus app is open and it'll come up with a thing. But like, that's, that's a minor, minor annoyance. I, I like the ability to give feedback as opposed to the, the like false positives of triggering it. Yeah. 
So you're seeing it as a pop-up? That it's like an overlay. It's like it comes up from the yeah. bottom and just says, give feedback. Yeah. See, Android doesn't have a lot of the overlay or pop-up type um, activity baked into it quite yet. Right. And I think that's, like, you can see that because they don't have the chat where you can just type in your response overlaid on top of whatever you're working on. It has to switch directly into the app all the time. Okay. Um, so hopefully down the road they'll integrate a bit more of the, the overlay and kind of app over app um, interaction without having to switch between apps fully all the time. So I think that might be one of the main main issues right now as far as the interface itself goes. Right. Uh, all right, let's unless there's something else you want to say, let's move on. Uh there's another, this is sort of a more on the science side of things, piece of news that I read this week. So Coca-Cola Inc. is making premium milk product. Now, I thought that at least one company had, like you can buy milk to go in those little plastic bottles. Uh, but this is supposedly like they're, they're selling it as premium milk. And it's going to be twice as expensive as the milk you'd buy elsewhere at the grocery store. Apparently, it's called Fairlife. Uh, it's weird. <laughs> so, um, yeah, soda sales are on the decline because sugar is bad for you and people are starting to become aware of it. Uh, yeah. I don't, what do you think of this? What do you think of the concept of premium milk? For one, the article I read on it read really weird. Like, they were talking to a Coca-Cola representative. I can't remember what his position was, but it was some Coca-Cola guy, official guy. And the comments he was making were very, like, it almost read like a sad piece, where it was like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we always have to think about the bottom line and get into, it's like, Oh, you lose a lot of money at first, but the cash really starts raining as you stay in it. Or like it was very like like capitalistic, almost greed type. Like usually when you talk to a rep and is very like PR, like oh yeah, you know we want to like make a difference and move away from soda sales and whatever. But it was very like a cash grabby type move. That, that's how the article read. Um, and then he was saying something about it being lower fat and higher protein, but then saying that it's still going to like skim 1% and 2% variance, which is a fairly standard milk fat percentage. Yeah. So I don't know what he's talking about being lower fat or <laughs> higher protein. Yep. So I'm, I'm very confused about what they're trying to get at with the premium part. And yeah, he even came up and said, oh yeah, it's going to be twice as much as normal milk. And it's like, like who just says that? Yeah, why would you? Yeah. Well, why would you even say that? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> so I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I think people are kind of, and it doesn't help that you think of like Coke and milk and it's like, ew, Coke milk. Like, like Coke is a yeah. food company like any other company. So I think that's the association there. Like Coke owns like a million different things. So yeah. They they really really like they they'll buy yeah. up smaller companies and start yeah. producing that thing against them. Yeah. So, but yeah, just the whole idea of a premium milk is is kind of, and 
I'm not sure if it's going to be like a sterilized milk where it doesn't need to be like refrigerated. Yeah, it's weird. Like it's, it's I'm not sure. Yeah. One of the things that I that I see here they're saying that this is related to the soda tax that is coming into a lot of government things and so maybe it's a way to not have to pay a soda tax by stopping making soda. Well, they were saying that only is like 20% of their sales come from carbonated beverages now. Right. Well, because this has already kind of started happening. There's vitamin water and all these other like energy drinks, that kind of thing. Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's already moving away from sugary drinks and this is just the next quote unquote healthy step. But I'm not sure it's great for consumers or, or anybody really. Yeah. It's funny you bring up vitamin water because I remember back in university when they first started coming out with vitamin water. I'm like, well, that's a good idea. It's, it tastes good. It's water. And then you look at like the sugar in it, and it's from what I can remember, it's almost as much as normal pop. Like, like a bottle of it has as much sugar as a normal can of pop. Like, so you're not really saving yourself much from drinking it. Which explains why it still tastes good because it has a bunch of sugar in it. So, but... yeah, one of the things that this is just sort of on a on a similar but separate thread. Uh, I've been eating sugary breakfast cereals for a really really long time, and there's there's a things like oatmeal crisp, the cereal that's got like granola and a lot of sugar, and then sort of raisin raisin brandy flakes. Like it's really good, really sugary. There's a blue menu version, a president's choice, that is a lot, like it tastes more cardboardy, like as you would say, cardboardy. <laughs> right. And I, I started buying that instead. And if you're not eating the super sugary one, that obviously, like it's pleasing, it's more pleasing to our brain. If you don't think about them in comparison to one another, why should your cereal tastes sugary and good. Like why? <laughs> That's not what it is. The 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 sh- or the milk you're putting in the cereal already has sugar. So I've started taking pleasure in what the cereal does to like what the healthier cereal does taste like, as opposed to comparing it, saying, "Oh, this is so much worse than Lucky Charms." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of my breakfast cereal, whereas before I was sort of hating myself for not having this overpowering amount of sugar in my cereal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the people who will eat, like, shredded wheat. Yeah. Like, it's basically just, like, a ball of dried wheat. Yeah. The new shredded wheat commercials are talking about how that's all it is. Like, we cut the wheat, we process it and ball it up, and that's it. Like, there's, it's such a simple product. How can it not be good for you? Right. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost like you've, like, the fact that it tastes like cardboard is, like, part of the novelty of it. It's, like, it's not sweet, so that's why you're eating it. It's just, like, man, this is good for me. It's, like, when you drink, like, like a, like a green, like, well, like, just a bunch of, like, stuff, like, green stuff in a drink. It tastes disgusting, but you're, like, this is good for me, so I, I take pleasure in eating it because it's good for me. It, it's kind of the same idea as, like, well, it's not supposed to taste like a milkshake, like right, right. So, 
Yeah, and that can't be healthy or it cannot be, but you kind of have to do more research into it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You had a story you want to talk about here to do with Blu-ray discs. You're going to have to explain this a bit. Okay, so I guess it came up fairly later this week um, where I guess a guy was trying to figure out, like, as a backstory, solar cells are fairly relatively inefficient. They could be a lot more efficient um, based on, you know, amount of light absorbed and converted. So this guy, he was looking at like a Blu-ray disc or any sort of optical disc, I guess you could say, but Blu-ray specifically because of how close together the ridges and the, the valleys and plains and whatever are, um, that it's would be very good during light. Um, and that's why when you shine, when you vote, like put the disc at an angle, it shows a rainbow iridescence yep. Yep. because it's reflecting and scattering that light because it's absorbing it. Yeah. Um, it's absorbing some, yeah. Yeah. So they tried, they made a mold as a proof of concept. They made a mold out of the Blu-ray disc surface and then used that mold to make surfaces for solar cells, like photovoltaic cells. And then I guess, and this is part of where the confusion comes in because I've read a couple different reports or articles on this and they kind of report it differently every time. But, and the paper is paywalled, so I haven't actually read the actual paper. Um, yeah, well, the paper is going to cost you like 70 bucks. Yeah, so it's like, actually, it's, I think it's 35. So, but anyway, um, people are quoting a 22% increase in. Some people are saying 22% increase in efficiency. Some say 22% increase in amount of light absorbed. But I think either way you look at it, it's supposed to be like a 22% increase from, say, the 20% that it originally was. So not a 22% point increase, but a 22% increase on the 20. So it's, good. it's not like 24 or 25% versus 20 but one article i read quoted 44 it went up to 44 percent efficiency which would be like a doubling in efficiency which is that would be like literally revolutionary in solar cells yeah that would change the whole story if it's yeah yeah so i think you'd hear you'd be hearing a lot more about it if it was 44 percent from 20 yeah but i think it's now more like 25 percent versus 20 right is the twenty yeah. is the twenty the actual percent? I, I read that in another article okay. saying oh most are around twenty. So don't quote me on that. Because that still seems like that still seems really high. I yeah, I'd I'd have to look into it more, but either way it was a twenty two percent increase right. on whatever it was without it. Yeah, like, so it's not a so, it's so, not a massive so, increase. No. And but but it's it's statistically significant. Because yeah, yeah, like, you know, their 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 experimental method was they'd have I think one one panel with just the regular surface, one with the uh, Blu-ray disc type ridged surface and exposed to the same source of sun and the one with the ridges and stuff absorbed 22% more yeah. than the other. Um, so it, it's kind of like it, they're, they're advertising it as a proof of concept to be looked into further to say there's a lot of promise in looking at how you're capturing the light versus 
some of the more complex, you know, energy conversion type stuff. It's like sometimes it's just something as simple as just the surface that's being used to cover it. So. Right. That's interesting because the the reason that Blu-rays are so much more energy dense than regular CDs is the fact that they use the blue laser, which has which is able to be more narrowly focused, and so you get more data per surface area. So it makes sense that it would absorb more per surface area than than a regular solar surface. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is that the more flat surface you have the more light's going to get reflected off versus getting into what's beneath that surface, right? Getting absorbed. So if you have a tighter wavelength, like edging the disc, then you're going to have like ridge valley, or yeah, ridge valley, ridge valley, ridge valley, a lot closer versus larger areas where it's just flat. So yes, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> uh so i guess the last science um well we'll see what we get to but uh the next science story uh, i just read this and and it'll it's interesting in that it, it's they they're proclaiming it as this big thing and if it is what they say it is then it is pretty big uh it's a story here talking about again Graphene has been hailed for a long time as it's going to be the next big material uh, ever since. Like, it's basically going to replace silicon as the main electronics thing, like the main electronic substrate. And so what this article is saying is that they've been able to use graphene to separate, to filter protons out of gaseous materials. And so if you can get, if you can take a, an organic compound and filter protons off of it using just a sheet of graphene, you're able to get the material that you had originally on one side of the, the graphene and just hydrogen on the other side. And once you have just hydrogen alone in an isolated environment, you can get very high energy density from combusting that or from electrolyzing it or whatever you end up doing. You can get a lot of chemical energy directly from that hydrogen. And so I'm going to put, I'll put a link to the story, but again, this, this is going to be behind a super paywall to read the actual, uh, the actual report, but that's very similar to the way the fuel cells work is that you separate these things by a barrier and you let some of it through, but not all of it. Uh, the interesting thing that to me, this is somewhat relevant. One of the things that when I was first going to do my master's, I was asked to come up with a something I might find interesting as a research project. And I was looking at compounds like this, compounds like benzene. Uh, and one of the things that I came up with or that I that I thought was thinking about doing is getting into this field of so-called boron nitrides. And so boron and nitrogen are basically on either side of carbon. And so you can put them together in the in a similar way to car to carbon except you have to alternate boron nitrogen boron nitrogen boron nitrogen and it'll have a very similar electronic environment to carbon and so graphene is just a sheet of pure carbon so they're saying that you can make uh, a similar thing to graphene using a boron nitrogen alternating sheet and so this is the thing that 
that is sort of the major breakthrough is using a combination of graphene and this boron nitride. And that it would have been cool. I didn't actually end up getting into boron nitrile research, but it just like it leaves me kind of thinking what could have been if I had if I had sort of protested because I was doing NMR research and neither boron nor nitrogen are very easy to study with solid NMR. So it would have been really difficult to do. And so I was sort of pushed in a different direction, but I think it's really interesting that this, this very interesting chemically, very interesting material is might be able to be used for this really cool, really uh, from an energy perspective, really, really potentially useful application. So when you're, was it the word you use? Filtering protons? Yeah. Yeah. Do you need to have hydrogen as one of the components in the gas for it to be filtered, or will it strip a proton? That was one of the things that I wasn't sure, because they were saying that when they originally did the math for this, the physics of it, it looked like the protons were never going to go through. And then they they tweaked it a bit to be, apparently it's somehow better because they were able to do it. Uh, but they were they were able to show that on a on a technical level it doesn't it doesn't happen very often but on a quantum level everything the rules change and suddenly it it's possible and so the way I read it and maybe this isn't actually right science wise but the way that I read it is that these protons were tunneling across the barrier because graphene is very like it's a very very fine material like the the holes in graphene if you've ever seen the structure of it it's like chicken wire basically and so if if protons are small enough or they're able to tunnel through the holes in the chicken wire it it would be like it, a proton could theoretically tunnel from the the chemical that it's in in a gas across and it wouldn't necessarily need to be a spare proton or that it, just the way the chemical equilibrium works out spare protons would be able to sort of transition across but then they wouldn't have any incentive to get back. So the way they were describing it, it seemed like it was sort of almost an irreversible process in that the protons could go across one way, but they wouldn't be able to get back. So again, it's going to take more research. Like they just discovered this, but uh, I'm pretty interested. Like I've always been interested in how, what graphene is going to mean for the science community. And this is just another thing in that step. That's going on though. No, it's not fission. No, okay. No nuclear, no technically nuclear processes happening. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Uh, did you want to talk here about your uh, your espresso beer tap? Oh well, I don't know. I just I thought it was kind of cool, and I think yeah, the, just describe it a bit. I think it is kind of cool. So I guess what they're doing now is they've developed a beer tap that allows you to. Now I guess this would be a good topic for Nick to to talk about because I'm sure he'd be all over this because. Espresso and beer are two of his likes yeah. loves. Um, but, and he'd be able to explain it a lot better, but um, I guess... We'll follow up with him. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a follow-up next week and get his thoughts on it. But we uh, they've, they've come up with a beer tap where, similar to an espresso machine where you put grounds, coffee grounds, in it and force water through it, there's a beer tap where you have some sort of mechanism that contains hops, which are already part of the beer-making process, um, if it has hops in it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the hops add flavor and liveliness and 
fruitiness kind of to the beer. Um, and But that's in the brewing process. But what they've done now is called, I think, dry hopping. Dry hopping, yeah. Where you infuse hops directly into brewed beer, and then it's like steeping it kind of, right? And then it picks up the flavors and aromas, and then you obviously take the hops out or filter them out or whatever. Yeah. Um, but this is essentially forcing beer through hops to give it a specific aroma or a flavor. Yeah. Uh, so it's and I guess they're they're advertising it as a uh, type of custom beer ordering where you can get like a lager with you know I don't know whatever hops through it or like whatever you want. Just whatever you want. And they're even talking about say like coffee. Like you know I'm sure you've had coffee before or at least heard of it. Um, and it's a similar kind of thing. What like from my understanding with those, they're actually adding coffee to the beer in some processes. Like they're yeah, putting brewed coffee, coffee and beer. Yeah. 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 And but in this, they're just forcing beer through coffee, which would give it you know similar aromas, I guess. So I think it's it's definitely one of those things where like bars are going to start integrating new and exciting and interesting things into their menu to kind of see where it takes them and. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's just cool to kind of see that kind of innovation and I guess now with craft beer uh, coming up as kind of a hot thing, yeah. that you'll start seeing a lot more customization. Um, even when we were at the uh, the Big Rock Brewery down here in Calgary, the um, the brewmaster, the tour guide was saying that the brewmaster is looking at integrating a service where you can custom order a brew for like a wedding or just if you just felt like ordering your own type of brew, you can just kind of custom order the type of beer that you want. So I think that's definitely the way it's going. Um, and it's, it's kind of exciting to see that kind of innovation. Yeah, it definitely is. So uh, I think we'll, <laughs> I think we'll wrap up here. Uh, did you want to say, did you buy anything on Black Friday? You had Black Friday here in the notes. We were, you know, we were looking at what was there, but I guess for us, it's like, well, there's, there's always Boxing Day. Like, if you know, it's not like we had any intention to buy anything. Right. I think we're potentially looking at picking up like a new stove or something, because um, the one we have when we bought our place is like 12 years old. So. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like I don't know. Those types of things are their impulse buys, and this a lot of it is fabricated or. Uh, synthesized sales yeah. as far as yeah, yeah, yeah. right um, I was reading stories on people like sitting on TVs like just running into a store and sitting on a TV to hold it and people getting trampled and killed and yeah it's like I don't know it's a little it's not, crazy yeah a little bit it's like if you if you weren't already intending on buying something then you probably don't have any reason to go and impulse buy something on yeah. Friday one of the things that I would say is if the thing you want to buy is heavily discounted on Black Friday, it's probably not a good idea to buy it. If yeah. it's very slightly discounted, then maybe you'll yeah. save like 10 or 15 bucks. But if it's heavily discounted, bucks. it's probably yeah. not great. Yeah. Like it's probably yeah, old like, or whatever. Yeah. Like if, if I was in the market for like a new phone or a new tablet and Black Friday had it for like 50 bucks off, then it's like, sweet. Yeah. I'll pick it up now instead of in a couple months or whatever. But, um, 
yeah, I don't see any reason to, to be getting like, you know, a $500 off TV just because. Well, uh, I will note again, as we talked about yesterday, you and I, the one plus one is available. You can buy it this weekend. All you have to do is pay the customs costs if you're leaving the States. So it's a really good phone and it's a really good deal. It's the the Black Friday deal is that you can buy it because normally it takes an invitation to buy it. Uh, but so for this weekend, they're they're offering it for sale to anyone who wants it. And they're saying it'll be delivered by Christmas. So uh, just in time for the holidays. I'd be interested in trying the Cyanogen mod. Yeah. Although there was a, there was also a story which maybe we'll follow up on next week because uh, we're going really long here. Uh, that apparently the Cyanogen might have been might have signed an exclusivity agreement or might be on the verge of signing one with a company in India, and so they wouldn't be allowed to run Cyanogen. So they're apparently working on their own fork of Android right now. On OnePlus is. It'll be interesting to see where that goes, but we'll maybe we'll follow up once we know more in the next week. Is there anything else you wanted to say this week? I feel pretty good. We've yeah. kept two viewers wrapt attention, although one of them is probably Nick throughout <laughs> most of this episode. Uh, I do want to address, we also have a Q&A here before we go quickly. Uh, a commenter talking about the whole TELUS thing, uh, wondering if, if, if the TELUS uh, caller is, is a rogue employer, if this is a TELUS thing as a whole. And I, I, we kind of addressed it, but uh, wondering out loud how TELUS could be so evil and wondering if they would also threat, uh, throttle the internet bandwidth of good-hearted people <laughs> moving to tech savvy, which is something we we discussed right before we started this episode. That maybe this is a nefarious plot. Nick's internet got is getting cut or throttled or whatever you want to call it because out of protest to him switching to tech savvy. Uh, this episode brought to you by tech savvy. <laughs> and next week's actually brought to you by tech savvy. Yeah, next week's. Nick will be here to to extol the virtues of tech savvy. All right, well, uh, I think we're good here. Uh, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? I don't know if if anyone enjoyed the format of the show or has any suggestions for improvements that they'd like to see during the show or just want to say hi, then drop us a line on our multiple avenues. Yeah, that we have. You want to, uh, I mean, you can find us on Twitter at Future Chats. You can find us on Facebook. Also, just search Future Chat. We have some people. We don't have enough people to get Facebook analytics for the page because Facebook is stupid that way. But uh, Google Plus or YouTube would be the main way to get in touch. Just search Future Chat. We'll come right up. Uh, We're looking forward to having Nick back next week. And uh, I think for now, since most of this was pretty after showy, especially at the beginning, uh, we won't do an after show. I got to head out, but uh, thanks for being here, Mike, as usual. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder that next week we will oh, yeah. be broadcasting on Sunday. Yeah, we'll be recording on Sunday yeah. instead of Saturday. Yeah. So. Stay tuned for that. All right. Mm-hmm. All see right. you guys. Yeah. Say goodbye for now, and we'll see you next week. Bye.